Love. This is Matt Dietz, and this is None of My Business. This is the show where I get to sit down with motivated and successful and inspiring and creative leaders and entrepreneurs who are in the middle of their journey. You know, no entrepreneur or leader is given a playbook at the beginning of their journey. It's something they have to figure out on their own. And so I wanted to sit down with people who are in the middle of it or have done it so that we can learn from them. And that's what this show is all about. And on today's episode, I have my new friend, Parker Harger, who is the CEO and founder of So Good. So Good is a nonprofit where they are giving back and doing good deeds for no reason other than doing good deeds, which is something the world really needs right now. My conversation with Parker was really strong. It was awesome. He really brought it. Um, He was vulnerable. He was uh, truthful and honest. Uh, He talked about his path, which is um, rich with all kinds of breadcrumbs that led him towards this path. Um, It was, it's a visceral journey that I hope you will enjoy. I really appreciate Parker coming on and sharing his story the way that he did. Uh, It was very inspiring. And again, I think it's something the world really needs to hear right now. So with all that being said, let's hear the story. On with the show. All right. I am joined today with Parker Harger, who is the founder, owner, CEO, the big kahuna. That's so good. What's up, Parker? How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we are new friends. We got introduced by a common friend of ours, uh, Jacob Nordby. You are, you are a friend of the Nordbys, correct? Yes, sir. Um, so... We're going to talk a little bit about so good, um, and but I want to hear a little bit about before that. So, like, what led you to it? So, where are you from, and like, how did you wind up here in Idaho? So, I'm from Nampa uh, oh, originally, born in Mercy Medical in Nampa, which is no more. There you go. And uh, my dad's family—they were all from Idaho, long time, you know, generations and generations of Idaho and farmers. Do you know how many generations do they go back? Oh, I have no idea. Actually, my one of my aunts did one of those ancestry things, and she says it just goes way back. Like they were just Idaho people. That's funny because my my wife is from Idaho, and they did the same thing. And we learned recently that my kids are seventh generation Idaho. Yeah, I don't know if I'm that far back, but it's uh, it's a. Yeah, it's local for sure. Yeah, no, that's amazing. You don't get a lot of local anymore. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, uh, just complete side note, I always see these stickers that have the Idaho license or Idaho you know, decal of the state, and then it says we're full. And I always laugh and say, have you ever been like two hours north or three hours north, right? Like, <laughs> right. Not like that Not full. <laughs> that many people in between here. And, yeah, how many people are in Jerome, right? right? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's empty out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, so you were born in Nampa. Did yeah. you go to high school in Nampa? Or did so you? my parents were school teachers. Uh, they taught school at a Christian school up on the bench, uh, Boise Christian. And so I was homeschooled. And then uh, when I was eight or nine, my dad decided that he wanted to move to Pomona, California to help out in a school for kids that, um, you know, had been kicked out of other schools, you know, traditional uh, high schools and things like that. And so we went down to California. And then I guess my journey back to here, I joined the Marine Corps after that when I was, you know, um, out, out of high school. And then my first job offer was to work at Idaho State Police. And so, yeah, I was super excited to get back to Idaho yeah. after being in California for a few years. All right. 
So tell me a little bit about So Good, and then we're going to go back and like retrace steps. So like, what is So Good? What do you? What does it do? Period. Let's just be real simple. Yeah. So I did an interview one time, and I was trying to think of a, a phrase that was so good that I could say over and over. And I meant to say random acts of kindness, but what I ended up saying was do good for no good reason. All right. And that really became it. It was like the mantra. And uh, you think about doing good for no good reason. And there's a lot of times people do good for a good reason, right? There's a, there's a reason behind something. And I'd like to say ours is a little bit more, you know, uh, intentional, intentional, just doing it for no reason. So not tied to anything that we believe, um, you know, it's like, so you'll see people that are like, well, you know, I go to this church and then we believe that we should help this group. Right. And that's awesome. But I'd, I'd like to do it a little more disconnected from anything that, um, is trying to drive a message and be more completely free from any of those kinds of, of, external impacts and just being good for no good reason yeah so actively looking actively, actively looking to be good yes sir. to help to be helpful i love that all right so let's let's backtrack a little bit so you were in you were a marine yes yes sir um thank you for your service thank you how long were you when were you in the marine corps so in 2001 uh september 11th i you know i witnessed what we all witnessed uh you know and it kind of changed your perspective and so in october of that year i joined and then i went in in the beginning of 2002 and then i was active for five years and i got out in 2007 and then i was three years as a reservist okay so you joined in october uh, october of 2001 yeah yeah what what was that like like what what inside of you said i'm I'm going to, I'm going to join the military. I mean, we all had visceral, visceral, you know, reactions to that day. My wife and I still have a hard time talking about it and seeing the footage. Like it was, you know, it was a formal time in my life. I'm 50 years old now. That happened when I was like, wow. I mean, I was, what was that? Oh, oh one. So yeah, I was, you know, 28 years old. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was our Kennedy. That was our Kennedy moment, right? You know, for our parents' generation, like it was. For sure, I think about you know between forty and fifty. Um, I was trying to explain it to my kids the other day, and they were like, "What happened? A plane crashed, and just nothing like that had ever happened." Um, but yeah, I remember George Bush was president, and I remember him being down there with the firefighters and like a fireman's helmet on, and. Um, which interesting. I mean, you, you think about so good and you think about all the stuff, you know, that's happened, but it was a really good time back then. Like we really came together as a country. I remember a lot of like, you know, patriotism and, and it was camaraderie. Huge. It was huge. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Like that was the, it was, it was almost magical to see. And I remember, you know, talking to my, my dad he's like, even though this was a horrible, horrible event, he's like, I'm hoping that some good comes from it. And it came for like, 90 days and then yeah you know, whatever but it was but i remember the feeling it was really unifying uh, uh through a terrible event right um and so what what you know you made a huge commitment you know to to join the marines what's what triggered you to do that so i actually joined the air force uh, i have to admit. okay 
And because uh, I was like, that would be cool, you know, fly planes or be involved with planes and stuff. And so I went and joined the Air Force and I was, you know, getting close to my date to go in. And I went in to get my physical and whatever. And there was a Marine out front and he was like, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm joining the Air Force. And he's like, they you probably- really want to tell people for the rest of your life that you were in the Air Force? Like, think about the ring. You got poached. Of, yeah, I'm a Marine. And uh, I was like, you know what? You got a great point. And I'm so glad. I mean, I love all the other branches, but there was something about the Marine Corps uh, that just, I loved it. It, it created the person that I am. Um, I, I'm i still friends with my drill instructors to this day. I send them so good shirts and things like that. Um, it was super impactful for me. So, Parker, what are the main takeaways from your time in the Marine Corps? What did they teach you that has become a part of you? Well, the three words that every Marine knows is honor, courage, and commitment. And if you if you follow those in pretty much any job, right, like you, you, you hold yourself to a standard. You have the courage to speak up. And especially these days, like maybe somebody's been, you know, mistreated and things like that. And then just the commitment to show up every day. Uh, I was I was listening to something this morning about the difference between actors that make it and the actors that don't. And they said, it's just the ones that keep doing it. And they were talking about Ian McKellen, uh, that at 65, he got famous. And yeah. before that, he was just 60 years as a, you know, an amazing artist, but just hadn't been discovered yet, did you know, a couple of movies of Marvel, then he's in Lord of the Rings and now he's like super famous. And you think about all those times when maybe he got overlooked and things like that. And so to me, commitment is just showing up every single day. It's a huge part of success is the daily commitment to showing up. Yeah, I love that. Do you you think that that is like, how does, do you know, how does one become like really committed? Do they have to love what they do? Is it an internal something inside of them that says, even though I don't love my job, I'm going to be committed to it because it's important to me. Like, do you know where, like, like how can one get like a strong commitment? Is it just an internal moral compass or can that be taught? Do you think? Yeah, I think it can be taught. And it's, uh, I used the movie or I guess the book, uh, you know, a Christmas story. And I love that story because you have a man the night before who like hates Christmas, doesn't want to give to the poor and wakes up and is just like over the moon that it's Christmas day. And he's like got, you know, he's like in love with Tiny Tim and he loves his employees. And it's all about perspective, right? Like something changed in his life. Something happened that shook him and said, hey, you have everything really good and you're going to end up alone with people, you know, laughing and, you know, spending a few pennies for your clothes. And I know that's just a movie, but I do believe uh, in that. And then, you know, there's, there's a couple of phrases that we've all heard, like, you know, love what you do and you won't work a day in your life. But sometimes that doesn't always work out for everybody. Right. Sometimes it doesn't always work out for everybody. So it is true, you know, in the toughest times, if you can have perspective, mm-hmm. you know, like, I've been golfing before and hit a bad golf shot and someone will say, you know, the worst day of golfing is better than the best day at work. And when you have perspective like that, it definitely can help, but we're human. And I know we have tough days, but I'd I'd like to think that to get there, you have to really have perspective of how absolutely blessed you are. You see things like what happened in Hawaii, back to what happened September 11th. I guarantee you everyone on that flight would have changed places with whatever job you're doing right now in a heartbeat. Yeah. So perspective and gratitude are the two 
ingredients, you know, to the formula for commitment. I love that. All right. So you came back and did you say 07? Uh, yeah, 2007. And then uh, you landed, uh, You did you kind of hop, you went into the police force, did you say? Yeah, there? so when I was in the Marine Corps, I worked on in a Harrier squadron, which is the vertical takeoff and landing jet that's now been replaced by the F-35. So I had no real IT experience, no experience in anything. I mean, the Marine Corps just kind of creates you. And so when I got out, I had a little bit of IT experience and the... IT department at the Idaho State Police was like, look, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd love to take a chance on you. And it's, it's interesting. That's a good story, too. When I interviewed at ISP, they said, based off of your resume and everything, you're eighth on the list. Okay. Is there anything that you could say that would move you up? Oh, what a great question. And I said... How did you respond? You know, there's a lot of people with probably more experience, more college experience, more, you know, real world experience, but you're going to not, you're never going to meet a more dedicated individual. And so a lot of that kind of stuff can be learned. It can be taught. I will catch up. So if you're looking for somebody that's going to be here every single day, ready to learn, ready to make an impact, then, you know, I'm your guy. And, you know, years later, the guy who hired me was like, we in the meeting were like, you know, that's, that's the best answer that's you could give for being that far down the list. Good for and, you. Um, what a great yeah. answer. Yeah. And, and you got to mean it and they have to believe it. You know, that's a, that's a, that's awesome that you were able to jump seven people. Did they, did they offer you on the spot? Yeah. So they were, they were like, you know, if you can start, you know, this is your start date. And, um, it, it, it really obviously turned my life around, um, that man, and I'm going to side story here, but I think it has to be said. That man's name was Ben Clements, and he took a chance on me. And uh, there was a lot of, you know, more qualified people, but Ben took a chance on me. And three years after that, um, he was out riding a four-wheeler with some buddies and um, tried to help another buddy. And in the process, he fell over and uh, broke his neck and passed away instantly. And... Um, because of that, I ended up even going higher in ISP in the IT department because obviously we had a huge vacuum because our leader was gone. And when I left ISP, I had his position. And uh, his kindness, his ability to look at individuals and see more than what just was on the paper, absolutely, 100% changed my life. I never would have been in the position I am today had Ben not taken a chance on someone and just like looked away from the paper and listened to what I had to say. And I got to go to Ben's daughter's wedding last year. And she was super, super young. And it was so cathartic for me to tell her about her dad and uh, say, hey, I know you didn't know him super well, but I did. And your dad was incredible and your dad always was looking to help other people and he changed my life thank you for sharing that story i think i've been thinking recently too about you know there are moments in time that show up um that maybe you don't realize them at the time but they're they're incredibly impactful to the future of our life and they can be one sentence 
you know, it can be a teacher praising you when you didn't see it coming and it, it forged a new path for you. Or it can be a boss that, um, I had an experience where I was, it was my first professional job and I didn't do it well and I actually got fired. Um, but the, the gentleman who ended up firing me, he knew me like as a person and like he knew I was a good guy, but I was just, I was in a lazy place and I wasn't committed and I just wasn't doing a good job. And he was like, man, I really like you, but I'm trying to build an all-star team here and you're not part of it. I'm sorry. Um, but so I opened up a job search after that and he, he helped me land my next job and, uh, by a, a shining glowing reference. And he talked to the, the guy who ended up hiring me. He's like, you got to hire Matt. He's going to be good for you. So even though he let me go, he helped me get another job. And at that moment, everything turned around for me. That was a moment in my life where I was like, I'm tired of, of underperforming. And I went out and I killed it at my next job. But, but that moment was really important to me. It helped become, it helped me become the man, helped me set me towards the path of the man I am today. And so I think it's really important. I think it's probably a foundation of what you're doing with so good is, you know, small pockets of time can be really impactful. And so I really appreciate that story. So, so, um, talk to me, how long were you at ISP or you, or so I was at ISP for five years. Okay. Um, I would have stayed there probably my entire career, but another it, um, company CompuNet came and said, hey, you've been there for about five years. We really think that you would make an impact in the state of Idaho working as an IT consultant. And I'll never forget, I went to my boss uh, you know, that was running that department. And I told him, you know, I feel really terrible. You guys gave me an opportunity to work here when I was a nobody. And now I'm, I'm running the IT department. And if they reach out to you, you know, they, they need you as a reference. And he said, okay. You know, I'll, I'll do it. And so then I asked them, what did he say? And they, they said, he told us to hire you because you had reached your potential here. And that was a great next step for, for you. And I always appreciated that. I know there's so many places that like when you go to somewhere else, you know, they may not say a good review about you or be kind of frustrated at you because you left. And it was so incredible to have a boss that, looked at me and said, hey, you've reached your maximum potential here. You're gonna do some amazing things. We really thank you for your time, but it's it's best that you move on. And so then I went into, you know, kind of full-time IT after yeah. that. Yeah, well, what a gift they gave you there. For you sure. Know, not being selfish and obviously you're doing a great job for them and it would've been great for you to, for them if you stayed because you were running a stable department and doing good work for them. But, you know, what a gift, you know, to say, you know what, your time here is done. Um, there are bigger and better things for you out there. So for any, you know, employers out there, like just be cognizant of, you know, not every job is a forever job, you know? I mean, I, I work with some, some companies who employ, you know, teenagers and they get into their young, you know, their young twenties and it's not a job for them to stay forever, but like they're doing the best for them in the pocket of time that they have them, you know, they're developing them and teaching them life skills and things like that. And then, you know, they expect them to go out and get something else. So yeah, we all have different chapters of our journeys. Right. And so it's important to be cognizant of them and pay attention and listen to yourself. And so, so what was it like at, uh, when you took that job at comp CompuNet. CompuNet? That's it. Yeah. Yes, sir. So what was that like for you? 
So, so for the longest time, and it's even been recently, you always hear this phrase, um, the imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. That's a biggie. And I had that for a long time because you have, you have a, a kid like myself that's homeschooled, joins the Marine Corps. Somehow, you know, someone takes a chance on him at ISP. There's a tragic accident, huge vacuum, a lot of people looking for resources, and I just be kind of become the de facto person. Like they're just like, hey, w- there's a, there was this program and it's not working, and he ran it. Now it's on you. And Crucible, I mean, just through the fire, become the expert of all things because there's really no one else that can do it, right? And so now I'm amongst real you know, IT professionals, guys that have master's degrees and, you know, doctorates and they have five or six acronyms behind their name. (laughs) They have a business card that's like a half a mile long, right? Right. And you have imposter syndrome. And it wasn't until recently that I, I've really been able to shake imposter syndrome. And I, I know I probably shouldn't say that, but what I realized was anytime I felt like I was an imposter, it was because I hadn't really gone out and done the training to feel comfortable in what I was doing. And I think about like sports, right? Like if I've taken batting practice and I've watched a ton of video and I know what's coming, I may still strike out, but I go up there looking for a pitch to hit. And I realized anytime I felt like that imposter imposter syndrome kind of sneaking in, I was like, where am I lacking? What am I doing that's making me feel like I'm not ready I need to go get ready so that when I'm given the opportunity, I'm ready. And I know that that's probably not the answer for everybody. There are people that have true imposter syndrome and they don't feel like, you know, like they're as good as everyone else or everyone's thinking a certain thing. And we're not. Most of us are like just struggling ourselves. So when you find that out too, you know, I had really good IT guys that I would hang with after work and they would kind of talk to me about their feelings and then you realize oh we're all in the same boat so that that definitely helps but the other thing is go out and train what you think that you're not good at if you think it's public speaking really dive into it if you think it's you know writing uh you know a reports really get into it because a lot of that imposter syndrome comes from a place of you're just kind of nervous to get into that area and if you push yourself into that and you're prepared a lot of that kind of stuff goes away. I still get butterflies, but the confidence that comes from, you know, preparing for three days, reading the books, watching the material, you're like, I I might fail, but I was prepared when I did it. Right. I'm going to go down swinging anyway. I think that's, I think imposter syndrome is real for, for a lot of people, most people, especially people in the entrepreneurial space or leadership space. Cause like uh, those spaces, are are thrust upon you like you like if you've never been a leader before now all of a sudden you're a leader of course you're going to feel kind of inept because you're like i've never done this before i think the one thing that's kind of the icing on the cake to helping you overcome imposter syndrome is if you're able to teach your skill to somebody else i think that goes a long way because it will it because just you know, you can learn it and then you can do it. And I think the final step is teaching it because if you can teach it, you're putting it in a way that, um, 
that somebody else can understand it. You're probably simplifying it a little bit, and it's going to give you that much more confidence. Say, hey, I had that information. I shared it willingly and well to somebody else. Now they're doing it. I must know enough. You know, I must be good enough to know at least how to teach it. So I think teaching it is something that can really kind of, you know, galvanize some confidence, you know, in people. And so, um, so talk to me a little bit now about, you know, how, when was So Good founded? Um, How was that seed planted and born? And so let's talk about the beginnings of of So Good. Um, How did that idea come about? And, you know, what did you do with it when you felt it? Yeah, so I always tell people that So Good kind of started by accident. I know there's a lot of nonprofits out there that, you know, maybe a, a child has a certain illness or th- something and they say, hey, you know, in 2000, whatever, I started this nonprofit. Mine's a little bit of a mantra and you kind of touched on it. I think my my interaction with Ben Clements at ISP and when he passed, that definitely, you know, was kind of the change, like, hey, someone someone gave you a uh and you know a, a, an opportunity you should look for opportunities and so i think a lot of those were all subconscious and then in 2015 my dad called me and said hey i'm not i'm not feeling great and it turned out he had a gyoblastoma which is you know an aggressive form of brain cancer and then he passed in 2015 and that you know as a man when your dad dies it um we talk about imposter syndrome. It really discombobulates you, sure. right? He, he's the foundation. He tells you that you're great. You know, you come to him with questions, and he, and that's what men do. And it's it's interesting that you said about teaching because I really believe that's that's the job, you know, of of the of the man of the male, you know, figurehead in your in your family is, you know, just trying to pass on those those values to to young men and to make their lives better and and stronger, and um you know, how, how to treat other people, how to be strong and yet soft, you know, like how to walk that line of letting people say things and not, you know, just immediately reacting things like that. Yeah. So my dad passed, you know, real, real tough time. And that, you know, was a bunch of stuff that kind of happened after that. I had been married to a Marine for, you know, several years and we looked at each other and said, you know, we were better as friends. And so after my dad passed, we, I went through a divorce. Um, I got into another relationship and got engaged and then that kind of fell apart. And then in 2017, I was just doing an IT thing. It had nothing to do with anything else. And I was out in Las Vegas on October 1st, 2017, staying at Mandalay Bay for an IT conference and I was with another buddy and he said, Hey, there's a, you know, I, I think I mentioned to him, Hey, there's a country concert. We should go to it. And that's the concert where the 58 people were killed. And, uh, I came back to Idaho and it was really tough. I think, you know, the Marine Corps, my dad, kind of the relationships that I had been, um, in, you know, just a, a, a really tough time. You know, I, I, I really understand depression and not, not being able to feel like yourself and not being able to like, you know, get up so to speak. And I began to just do things to help other people to kind of just help my own brain. I was in a, you know, a place where struggling and I began to go down to the VA home and just hang out with vets and go do different things. And one day someone was like, man, what you're doing is really amazing. It's so good. And I was like, oh, I love that phrase. That's so good. 
And I, I guess I just began to say it all the time because people started laughing and they would say, do you realize that when we ask you, how's life, how's the kids, how's job, you would say, so good. And I put it on a t-shirt, so good, with an exclamation point. And that, that, that was the beginning, somewhere between right around 2017. So, Parker, let me ask you, I mean, you went through a real tough, you know, two to three year stretch with a lot of tough things happening, you know, the loss of your father, um, uh, divorce, you know, another failed relationship, and then going through a real traumatic, you know, event, you know, and you said you're, you know, you were depressed and, you know, what do you think it was that caused you to try and help yourself heal? Where do you think you got it? Where did it come from where your response was like, in order for me to feel better, like I am going to go help other people, you know, that's a, where do you think that came from? Cause that's, I don't think that's a common response. People are trying to you know, depression's a real, real problem and people don't, can't find their way out of it. You know, a lot of times it's through help of others helping you, you know, to help get you out of it, you know, talking, you know, maybe you see a therapist or, or whatever, but, or you have, you know, a, a close circle of friends that you can trust on to help pull you out of it. But what do you think it was for you that was like, I, my way out of this is to give and to help others. Where do you think that came from for you? Well, I'd like to think that there's some sort of divine guidance i mean you know i don't want to derail this but i i do believe that someone out is looking out for you you know and i i feel like opportunities come that are like trying to help you and for me i was on the freeway i was just having one of those days where everything was falling apart and you you have so much self-doubt and so much you know depression and you're you 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 have a failed relationship and you, you, you start to look at yourself and what's wrong with me and, you know, why can't I, why can't I do this? And, you, you know, depression is one of those things that it, it kind of, it's, it's a lot of self-loathing and you, 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 you hate yourself and you wish you could do better and then you don't. And that kind of emboldens the idea that there's something wrong with you. I remember I was on the freeway and I was just listening to the radio and this commercial came on and said, tonight, you know, or tomorrow, there's a chrome at the home. And I was like, ooh, turn that up. What's that? And they said, we're doing a thing tomorrow at the VA home. Come out. We're going to have classic cars and motorcycles, and it's called Chrome at the Home. And I don't know if it was an accident. I don't know if somebody put that in my way. But I went out, and I just started hanging out with these veterans at this event, Chrome at the Home. They still do it. And when I got back in my truck, I was like, man, I didn't even think about my problems this whole time. Like I've had a great time. And so I feel like I kind of stumbled upon it and I was like, oh, that was awesome. And then I began to just do more and more of it and slowly, you know, was able to just kind of build something. The other thing that happened is that I met my wife at the time, you know, it's just a friend of mine, but I met my wife and we had our first date right here uh, actually, at the uh, Bodacious Pig. Yeah, right here. Right here. Yeah. And she said something to me that changed my life. Uh, we, we went on a date, and you know how you do on a date. You put your best foot forward. I decided to do the opposite, kind of like Seinfeld, where you just like tell the truth. And I, and, I, and I just kind of told her the truth, and I said, look, this is what I am. This is what I'm struggling with. And I know, I know that I can add some value to somebody, but right now I am just in this space where I am you know, I, I cannot figure out how to get back where I was. And I'm, um, 
I feel like I'm broken inside and I just, uh, this is what I have to give. And so, you know, like if you're looking for types of relationships, I want to be honest about where I am. And I'll never forget, she put her hand across the table and grabbed my hand and she said, you just need someone to believe in you again. And uh, you, you, we talked about Ben Clements and how he did that and the, the man in your story that helped you with the job. And I, it's so powerful when a teacher, uh, a coach, someone looks at you and says, look, there's nothing wrong with you. You just haven't had anyone that believes in you. And you look at these stories, like Brock Purdy, the 49ers uh, quarterback, he was taken last in the draft. Yeah. Mr. Irrelevant, you know, just the guy that is at the butt of a lot of jokes, right? Wearing the jersey. And yet, you have a moment, and uh, there's your time to shine. And that really shaped my life because I realized how many times I had met people that I thought, man, they're, I don't know if they're going to do anything with their life. And it, it, it helped me. It really shaped so good and made me realize there's a lot of people out there that have had a lot of things happen to them and, you know, some things that are unfair, some things that are, you know, they didn't even mean to be introduced into their life. And you just need somebody to look at you and say, I, I think that you can do it. I believe in you and I, I love you and I'm going to support you. And there's different, obviously, ways of supporting. Um, and uh, so those those two things were hugely impactful for me to get out of my cycle. And if you talk to my wife, she'll say, no, I had no part of it. You were always going to do something great. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. I would have figured my way out. But maybe um, she got you there significantly faster. But maybe she got me there significantly faster. And she's, she's obviously a super humble person. And she's an LCSW and a marriage counselor and incredible. But I never want to, you know, gloss over that there are people in your life that will be there, you know, and say, hey, I, I, you know, I, I believe in you. And so that, that really set me on a path that like nothing is wrong. And I think once you can get to that place, people that are, you know, depressed or facing depression and having anything, when you can realize that you aren't, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you are okay. Everything that you are, you're enough. You, you just need to be in a different position. And I, you know, I go back to sports and I think about sports all the time, you know, and I think about how you have an individual that maybe plays one sport and doesn't do very well at it, you know, and then they go and do something else and they excel. And so when you can find that as an adult, maybe this isn't for you, you know, you're not, you're not broken, but maybe this, maybe this situation, this job, this even relationship it's not, it's not best fitted for you. And when you can find that and you can find where you fit, man, you'll shine. Well, you know, I applaud, I applaud you for, for being open to guidance from different places. I mean, to have, uh, whether call it intuition or just being, being able to listen to yourself, whether that it was that, you know, that one commercial, like, again, we go back to these moments in time, these breadcrumbs where, um, if you're paying attention and you're not completely mired in self-loathing or anything like that, and you really want a way out and you're paying attention and you're listening to yourself and you're listening to your gut, you know, and all of a sudden this commercial comes on and you're like, God, maybe that would be good for me. And then you went and you had a great few hours, but you had the presence of mind to, realize after the fact you're like oh that was a great few hours i wasn't 
depressed during those few hours. I felt good about myself. I felt good that I was helping other people. Maybe there's something there. So it was really, it's great of you to, to be able to recognize that instead of just being like, well, that was great. Now I'm going to go back into my, you know, my dark hole, you know, and then to have the presence of mind to be honest with your now wife during that date and be like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to tell her where I'm at. And I mean, look at, that was a seed that was planted that grew right away, you know, when you were given another gift, you know, from her, which is, which is beautiful and amazing. So being able to have the presence of mind to, to see these things, recognize these things, learn from them and grow from them have really, you know, put you on a pretty special path. So, um, so good job. Thanks, sir. Um, so talk to me about like what's so good is like, what are some of the things that, that you do? Like, how do you see the world differently now than you did before some of these, you know, events, you know, change your perspective? Like, how do you go through your day, you know, and how does that intertwine with what, what's, what's so good is? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say obviously COVID was influential, just like the Vegas tragedy and 9-11. But COVID turned out to be different than a lot of those because in, instead of bringing us together, it brought us together in different camps yeah. um, and, and, and created more division. But it impacted people maybe not as directly, but there was a lot of impact from it. So what I began to see is just the impact. And so, like for instance, like a friend might come to me and say, hey, did you hear that such and such school district is now gonna require X, isn't that terrible? My brain would go, well, that's gonna be a struggle for those teachers. They got a whole new set of things they're gonna have to think about. And I wasn't angry about the policy. Now, I didn't always love it. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a person who doesn't understand the ramifications of rules and different things that make my life more difficult. But I also understood that at the grocery store, the lady that's, you know, has unretired to come out and do some work as a, uh, you know, a teller at a grocery store, didn't really want this to happen either. Right. So when she asked me, hey, can you stand back or this glass is here now, I began to see that it's impacting those individuals as well. And so my thought was, how can I tell them that we still care about them and we love them in the most the most effective way and it kind of came to me again accidentally in that I had friends that had food trucks that started before COVID that were you know struggling financially struggling to find a place and I thought you know what this is an opportunity to do two things at once we can take your crepe truck, we can take your coffee truck, we can take your food truck, and we can go down to these schools and just tell the teachers, hey, you're doing a great job. Here's a donut, here's a crepe, here's a hot cup of coffee. You're doing a great job. And um, there wasn't a lot of pushback on it. And it was a lot of thank yous from the teachers. And that's kind of where we started. And then other people see it and they say, hey, you know, we've, we've had these shifts at the hospital where these nurses are working 80-hour weeks because of, you know, again, because of COVID. And if you're sick, you can't come to work. And short-staffed, let's do hospitals. And we began to do hospitals. We began to do first responders. And all of those were touchy subjects, right? Like you'd have people in front of St. Luke's with signs, 
And I, I understand there's some, there's some frustration with the healthcare system sometimes. There's frustration sometimes with law enforcement. But all the times I would think there's a person out there. There's a person there that didn't ask for this any more than we asked for this. And I can say thank you for being there because this job was already tough and it's tougher now. And that's been my mantra. That's been my daily thing is there's people that are affected by these rules and changes and things. Let's not forget that there's a 22-year-old school teacher that her first year or his year in school was a COVID year. Yeah. And they had to learn teams and all of these web devices. And you had kids at home being loud and all of that stuff. And they're overwhelmed. And they're still supposed to do their job. And the pay scale is not great. And so my idea was let's be kind to them. Good for you. That's that's outstanding. I know you did something too um, with helping... Was it the VA that you set up the, you know, the TVs and the the phones and the to help them communicate because they couldn't have visitors? Was that or was yes, um, yeah. And that was that was one of the first projects. And again, all of these things, I I say ha- accidents, but they're like happy little accidents, you know. I mean, these Bob are Ross. ideas that were born from you. So yeah. I mean, I I, I don't want to I don't want you to demean you know the right. work you've done and keep calling them accidents because these were these were seeds that came from your head and that you you created real impactful value and emotional value for real people out there. So I'm not going to let you diminish what you've done. Yeah. So the phrase is uh, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell that story real quick because it's a good one. So the VA home, my wife and I, you know, as I started working at the VA home and we began to date, we just kind of fell in love with veterans. And so, you know, my dad passing away, um, a lot of veterans there are males. And, uh, you know, my grandpa, he had passed away when when my dad was 17. So I didn't really have any of that. So when my dad had passed, that was kind of it for me. And so... You know, I, I began to, to make friends and have, have you know, relationships with, with, with individuals there and, and go and do stuff. And my wife and I would come and we would run bingo games and they, they would know you and recognize you and, and you had a family there. And then when COVID started, you know, they were the most impacted because no one really knew what was going on. But we knew that it was impacting the elderly. We knew that it was impacting people, you know, in, the, in, in those uh, types of environments. And... And it was devastating, to be honest. If you look back at the news in the VA home, it was devastating. Yeah. Um, and they began to quarantine people to their own rooms, and it was very tough. You, you, you think about like the staff there, probably not paid as much as their counterparts in the commercial world. Um, and then to be in an environment that is immediately tougher than most places, having veterans that are quarantined, you know, just compounding the problem. And I, in the IT world, we just kind of moved right into video. We just telehealth, telecom, tele everything. Mm-hmm. But it didn't transfer into there because there wasn't a lot of education around it and there wasn't resources. So I just began to create these video carts that we could put in the rooms so that families could call their families. And it was beautiful. You had these veterans calling their grandkids and you could 
see them on the screen for the first time and their faces lit up. And, you know, I, I'm not in the medical field, so I don't know anything about it. But I heard that it definitely changed the mood and people began to feel better and get better. And so that that was huge for us. We were we were so happy to do it. And um, yeah, that was one of one of my favorite events was creating those video video cards and giving them to the VA home so that we could see veterans again. The veterans could see their families again. And again, it was a problem that we found and we were able to make some good come out of that. Yeah. And I know you, you, you don't do this to seek attention. Of course, you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. But this project did receive some, some national attention, right? Yes. So I still to this day don't know how it happened. But I got a call and they said, hey, these are producers from the Today Show. We would love for you to come out and kind of talk about the work you're doing as a veteran on Veterans Day in New York. Would you please fly out? And they had interviewed other people. So they had interviewed Joanne Darren at the VA home, who's an incredible individual. And they had also interviewed uh, a little girl in Idaho named Peyton, who had cancer that I had done some stuff with and had helped and, you know, grew super close to her family and and to her. And they had interviewed kind of me or her without my knowledge. So went to New York and did the Today Show. But one of the most incredible moments was I was sitting in the green room before we were going on and they said, hey, we kind of want to make you comfortable. And so we're going to have Jenna Bush come out and sit and talk with you. And she was just an, an incredible individual. I could just feel the sincerity. And she just asked me questions. And she said, what was one of your first moments? when you knew you wanted to do something good. And I I got emotional and I started talking about 9-11. And I said, there was this picture of the United States president at the time, George Bush. And he was just this man that, you know, everyone had been, you know, kind of like, we had went through a really tough election. You know, there were the hanging chads in Florida. And here he is with this, terrible tragedy and he just steps in and he tries to love everybody and we're still in a you know a real tough political place and I'm going on and on and on and I'm getting emotional and she's and all of a sudden I realize right this is your dad right what a full circle moment what a full circle oh my god to meet Jenna Bush and say hey I didn't even mean for this to happen but like your dad impacted me and I loved that I got to give her that because my dad had passed and I know like she probably struggles with like the political climate now and having a dad who was, you know, he had a, he had a tough time. Yeah. He had a tough time. And to be able to give her something and say all this good that happened that you're interviewing about, um, your dad, your dad did a picture with uh, firefighters in a helmet on, and he made an impact in this kid when I was, a teenager and here we are and we were just a few months apart because she asked me how old I was and she got to tell me the story being a teenager on that side yeah and it was just a, an incredibly cathartic moment and uh so yeah that that got the national news um and uh that was our our little bit of a blip on the radar uh going out to New York and doing the Today Show wow what a neat moment for you good for you so so tell me just a little bit about you know, like what's so good like on a daily basis. Is this is this you? Do you have a team with you? Are you are there events? Do you guys have a calendar? Like what is it? You know what is what does so good look like today? You know is it you just out in the field 
doing what you can? Are you trying to just spread the word and help other people, you know, be good and kind to other people? Is that a message you're trying to get across? You know, what's, what does it look like today? So the answer to all that is yes. So the, we have a website called sogood.org. So super easy, super succinct, you know, it's like an org. So, you know, it's a nonprofit, sogood.org. On there, I have a calendar that shows all the things that we do. We work at the food bank once a month. It's awesome. You come out. Because I'm a father of five kids and you know full-time employee, it's, it's sometimes difficult for me to get a lot of people involved. So the food bank does a great job. The Idaho Food Bank does a great job because they, they give us a night, but they do all the setup as far as like what we're going to do, how to sign up. And so they offload a lot of that for me. So that's one of the bigger ones that we do. We also work at the VA home quite a bit. And if you are listening to this and you want to reach out, my email is parker at sogood.org. Just reach out because the VA has a similar thing. So they have a website and they say, tomorrow we're playing Pinochle. We need eight people to come play Pinochle. Friday we're playing, uh, you know, another bridge. And so you can kind of look at that schedule and reach out. Um, they have a day where they go to Walmart and shop and each person needs somebody to kind of walk with them, help them, you know, uh, with their purchases and things like that. There's a night where we go to uh, the Idaho Hawks and watch baseball or the Boise Hawks and watch baseball or the Idaho Steelheads. So the same kind of concept happens for the VA home. So those are two things I'm very much involved, but you can also come and be involved in. So if you're like, I was a veteran, I want to support veterans. The VA home, we have a VA home here in Boise where veterans live and they, you know, they're, 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 they're permanent, permanent residents. And you can come and just be part of their lives. You can do stuff in the home. They have a, uh, a little grocery store type place, you know, that has coffee and donuts. You can just volunteer there for four hours and you can, you know, there's just a bunch of things on the website. And then there's one called just serve, just serve.org. And so those three agencies, I probably work with the most getting people involved. And then on a day to day basis, um, we're just always looking for opportunities. So in the morning, I may, you know, look at the KTDB website and it says, hey, there's this thing going on in the park and I'll show up and, and try to be helpful. As far as the team, you know, I have 30 or 40 people that we email on a regular basis that are part of So Good. But I would say that the, the team is my wife and I and our five kids and they're incredible ambassadors for the brand. Awesome. All right. One last question. Um, why do you think there's such a big disconnect you know, in the world right now? I think what you're doing is so important because people are looking to be divisive. You know, people are looking to fight for their cause instead of find a solution. People are not coming to the middle. People, um, I've been saying this for a long time, and I really, I think you're doing a great job in trying to correct it, but people are, uh, they think it's more important to be right than to be kind. And like, I really think, you know, at this point in our country specifically, like we, people need to come together. People need people. If I, if I've listened to everything that you've said today and all the help that you've gotten from other people and the help that you're giving to other people, like people need people. Um, but people are not giving to each other like they should be. And it's caused a pretty deep rift in many different, you know, factions. Why do you think there's such a divide right now? And like, what would be one message that you would give to people to try and, you know, to try and start helping us move in the right direction? Yeah, that's a deep question and probably several hours worth of an answer. <laughs> right. So you got, you got five minutes. My now. first, <laughs> my first thought, what first comes to mind is, um, 
it's a it's a business. We have to understand that sometimes. Like, what's dividing us is is traced back to people that are looking to make money off of our off of our division. And um, that might not be, you know, the answer to everything. But I began to sometimes think about that. Like a a person will say, hey, did you know so-and-so, you know, so-and-so company is doing this? Doesn't that make you mad? And I'm like, well, you know, the, people are looking people are looking to make a name. Like the social media and the media in, in general um, needs to kind of, you know, make make a profit our, of, our, of our, you know, divisiveness, yeah. to be honest. Um, the other thing is, I just don't think we know each other. We don't know each other. Like if you and I were stuck on an elevator for eight hours somehow, like it malfunctioned, I guarantee you we would come out with more friends than when we went in. And they would be, you know, left or right of us. They would be different religions. They would be born and raised in a different area. Different but colors. we would, yeah, different uh, shades. Mm-hmm. Um but we would find common ground. We would, we would realize that so-and-so maybe went to high school with somebody that we knew. And when those begin to happen, then the human element comes in. So the divisiveness to me is you just don't know them yet. And I can't fix the world. And when, I, when this question is posed to me, there are, there are individuals that are like, look, it's too far gone. It's too divisive. There's nothing. And it reminds me of the story of the little kid who's walking down the beach with all of the, you know, uh, sea animals, uh, you know, things, sea stars and things like that. And he sees that they're not going to make it back to the ocean. And so he begins to throw them in fra- frantically. And an older man walks up and says, hey, you're not going to make a difference. There's just too many. And he throws one back in with a smile and says, I made a difference to that one. And that has been my mantra that has helped me with imposter syndrome, depression, you know, you're not making a difference. It's not true. And to go back to that story of me sitting in the NBC studios in Rockefeller, and if you know the story of Rockefeller, I read books on Rockefeller. I'm sitting in Rockefeller's building, a man that started out, you know, super poor, got into the oil industry, gave so much to so many had a very complicated life but gave so much to so many i'm sitting in the rockefeller building with jenna bush telling her that a picture made a difference and if that's true it can be true over and over and over again and i just i live in that world and you can't take that away from me and i know that if i could get a one-on-one i can make a difference and we're not going to be able to fix all of the problems. And unfortunately, those 9-11s and things like that make us, for a moment, realize the humanity. Uh, so we're just going to keep doing that. We're just going to keep reaching out. We're just going to keep doing things that are good and things that are so good and helping our fellow man until we are no longer here. Until our time is up, right? Thank you for that. And I agree with you 100%. I've been, I, I had a conversation with my 17 year old son last weekend, and, you know, we talked for about an hour, and he was like, you know, we were talking about big problems, you know, uh, politics and climate change and all this other stuff. And I was like, I was like, buddy, this is what I've learned. I said, I said, I'm not going to be able to exact change across 
the world. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to get involved on a level where I'm not going to run for president. You know, I'm not going to become a senator. I'm not going to go in, into policy change. I said, what I've learned is that what I can, what can I do in my bubble? You know, and the, there are like seven people that I love more, you know, dearly than anybody else in the world. You know, I'm like, those are the people that are really important. I'm going to do everything I can to take care of them. But as you spread out, you know, you've got, you've got friends and colleagues and, and people that are important to you, people that you're connected with in different networks. There, I might have influence, some form of influence over like a few hundred people in my life. And I'm like, if I can love them and tell them that they're worthy and take care of them and be kind to them and not judge them, like that's my role in the world, you know? And, and, and if that can radiate, you know, the, you know, the hope is that like, that it can radiate and we all take care of each other, which is, might be a pipe dream, but you know, that's kind of the way that I've chosen to go through life. Cause you've told three stories today. I've told one about how a 60 second, um, interaction has changed your life or a picture has changed your life. There are moments in time that we can really affect people's lives for the better forever. Um, and I think what you're trying to do is you're taking those, you're looking for those 60 seconds. You're looking for those five minutes. You're actively seeking them with strangers and of course with people that you know and love. Um, but to be able to lead with that kind of empathy and passion and, and, and joy and creativity like is, is a real gift and so i really appreciate what you're doing i think the world really needs what what you're you're offering um i just think it's outstanding so um thank you for coming in and and sharing your story you're doing incredible work out there again just share with us real quick on how people can find you if they want to yeah, probably the easiest way is just sogood.org. It has you know all the social media links, so if you want to follow on Facebook or Instagram, those links are there. But the easiest is probably just sogood.org. And uh, yeah, look us up and send us a link if you're interested in doing something here in the, in the Idaho Treasure Valley area. All right, man. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. This right, has buddy. been awesome. Yep. All right, there you go. How good was that, right? Thank you, Parker, for sharing all that. I think there are people out there that really need to hear your story. Hopefully, they're motivated by it. Hopefully, it ignites something inside them, makes them feel something. I know I did. I'm just sitting down with you and getting to know you. I think it's a real important message and an amazing thing that you're doing, so thank you. Uh, my name's Matt. This is none of my business. Uh, do me a favor and connect with me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Deets Agency. You can find me at DeetsAgency.com. And I just really appreciate you listening. And uh, hopefully these stories are are helping, helping you find your path. So there you go. Thank you so much for listening. Keep up the good work. Oh, yeah.